0: Welcome to the NCO Journal Podcast, where we explore NCO professional development. This is a podcast series where we discuss published articles with authors and provide a forum for the open exchange of ideas, information, and solutions. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Brandon Cox, Senior Editor for the NCO Journal. Today, we discuss the article, The Transition from Soldier to Leader. We are joined with Dr. Larry Golba, one of the co-authors for the article, Chago Zapata, Managing Editor of the NCO Journal. Sergeant First Class Isvaldo Akite, I of the NCO Journal, and Tony Mena, Senior Editor for the NCO Journal. Thank you all for being here. If I could, could you tell us a little bit about yourself? Uh,
1: so a little bit about myself. I i am um, a clinical psychologist by training. Uh, I have a, a PhD in clinical psychology. My specialization area is in forensic psychology. Um, but really what, uh, what I thought I was going to do with my life was... Uh, uh, be what we call behavioral threat assessment. So looking at um, antecedents of targeted violence, um, and this includes sort of dignitary protection, event protection, um, sort of stalking cases, those kinds of things. Um, and that's what I did for for several years before I came into into this this job um, at the the U.S. Army Research Institute for the Behavioral and Social Sciences, um, which I didn't know existed. And uh, right out of high school, I did seven years of active duty in the army. And uh, then I got out and kind of did, did the school thing, um, which, you know, landed me in, in psychology. Uh, And uh, I went down the the clinical road, like I said, but did a little bit different side of that sort of the forensic I've done, I've done therapy, I've done general therapy, I've done intensive therapy, I've done all of those kind of things. But my really, my specialization was in targeted violence.
2: It's interesting that you, uh, you actually served in the army. So you're as an NCO, you were an NCO when you, when you left the army, is that correct? Were you a, uh, what
1: a sergeant yes. or staff sergeant? Uh, just E five sergeant, you know, so am I back then? And in that MOS in particular, which doesn't exist anymore, 97 echo. Uh, we were also coded not only by MOS but by language. Uh, we had a language requirement. So I learned Arabic, but uh, I initially came in and our points were maxed uh, the entire time. So I, I made E five, I think I'd been in, five years and what about four months. Well,
2: the the, the reason I brought that up, though, is apparently uh, you don't just talk to talk, you walk to walk. So this is interesting. It's a, that's a very – because I was like, you know, what we're, when I was reading this, like, what you know, where do these guys get off, you know, writing about NCOs? But apparently you're an NCO. So, you know, that just brings a different perspective to this whole conversation.
1: You know, I, I have some history we had uh, on this team – uh, one of the authors is also a, a retired uh, sergeant major. Uh, I think he, I want to say he was in 27, 28 years. And then we had uh, also had the opportunity to bring in um, an outside SME. Uh, Michael Schultz was also a, a retired command sergeant major as well. So we had some some good input uh, from them. And then several of the, the, the more academic researchers also have done um, work with the military and NCOs before. So they at least had some some understanding.
2: Yeah. When I, when I read it, I did have, I mean, thinking about it. And then as I was reading it too, I'm looking at around here at the, at our, at our, at our, soldiers up at the members of our team, our NCOs and, and it did have that NCO flavor to it. Somebody, it was written by somebody who really did know, you know, what, you know, especially that difficulty that what we're going to be talking about today, which is the transition from soldier to leader. Uh, and I, that, that's one of the things I wanted to talk about also really quick is, is, the title. We'll start with that because we we actually consider. I know one I know one of one member of our team wanted to uh, to change it from uh, soldier to NCO, but I thought it would be important to just leave it as leader because we do we may have out there some some young specialists or PFCs or whatever who are maybe put in put in positions of leadership, and I don't think that we should exclude anybody from from this type of thing. When it comes to being a leader, uh, you could be an 18 year old PFC who's tasked with doing something and the, 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 lessons that are included in your article, I think are something that, that everybody can take something away from.
1: Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and that was intentional. We, um, I actually, originally the target, the, the title did include, was that it was uh, soldier to NCO and I changed it to leader because again, personal experience, but also reports this happens currently. I mean, I was a, a, Team leader and a squad leader as a specialist, um, and that's certainly not uncommon even today. Um, so, like you said, I wanted to make sure those individuals felt felt included that this is relevant to them. You know, ideally, you know, you've got probably E5 team leaders, E6 squad leaders across the board. You know, or you know, there's some variation. Different units are set up a little bit differently, but generally, that's that's kind of what we're looking at. But we know that's not what typically happens. So. Again, in order to get the message out widely, I think that was an intentional choice we made. Yeah, so I'm glad that kind of hit. I'm glad that kind of hit home.
3: One of the takeaways that I took away from the from the article was that, that you should develop leaders early. Like, we're talking about military careers here, starting at, you know, young enlisted soldiers. But I'm even thinking, I think some of the um, thoughts that were coming through as I was reading the article was, you know, This is why it's so important for kids to be in like team events and team sports or activities that way, because they get that experience of, of leading or trying to accomplish objectives, you know, um, score a touchdown, score a goal or something like that. And so that leadership development should start off early.
1: Yeah, I I definitely think so. And that's, that's come out in, in this research in particular. Um, I guess I should note maybe at the start that this, this research, particularly the main project that's cited for this article that I did uh, was really what we called exploratory so we were really kind of cast a wide net we didn't we didn't get into a lot of depth um, into a lot of it Um, so we don't want to draw any really strong conclusions um, but I think the things that we present in the article we've got a pretty firm grounding on not only from this research but previous research and and kind of related things in other fields um, as far as what that and that's one of the big things you highlight there is that that experience of having leadership and contact with leadership and leading and that can take any form really Uh, ideally it would be in the army like you said starting early maybe as a as a senior pfc junior specialist getting some tasks to say hey you know specialists go take care of xyz thing give them a chance to go do it uh, see how they do and and provide them some feedback um, so they can start learning that that leadership process but this can take place outside of outside of the army like you said um, you know, sports clubs, things like band, um, you know, any sort of activity where you've got groups of people and, and there's, you know, some kind of hierarchy where you've got some leader, um, some leadership roles involved, I think can really help. And that's one of the things that I, I think we don't necessarily, uh, there, there isn't really a formal screening for that when people come in the army, you know, you're not going to know those things unless you ask your soldiers. So that's another one of those Um Kind of encouragements to know your soldiers, that's one of the big refrains I hear all the time during research and talking to NCOs is they say to be successful, you've got to know your soldiers. Um, And I 100% agree with that. Um, To be a good leader, you've got to know who you're leading. Um, So being able to find out those things from their background, do do soldiers have leadership experience in their their past or not? And that will help you to maybe direct your limited time as a leader to see who's maybe going to need a little bit more of those developmental opportunities. If you've got somebody that, hey, was a captain of the football team or was um you know a section leader in a marching band or you know something like that was the captain of the debate club where they have some of those leadership experiences you know kind of test them a little bit but see maybe they're a little bit farther ahead on the path maybe you have somebody that didn't have those things maybe they'll need a little bit more of your direct attention to get them up to speed to get them developed um, so they can move up Um, so i think that's one of those kind of indicators that uh, like i said i don't know that we formally necessarily look at a lot of the time um but it did seem to come out in this research and some previous research um, and it sounds like maybe in your experience as well sort of knowing who's who's got contact with with leadership and i think that falls back on just some basic you know basic psychology you know we say the best predictor of past behavior is future behavior so if you've behaved as a leader before i can have some confidence that you'll be able to do it in the future but if you haven't i need to ensure that you get some of those experiences
0: i i totally uh can Relate with you, sir, because I think you were talking earlier about, uh, you know, being in, being an E5 or being a specialist and being a squad leader uh, and then having maxed out points. Uh, I definitely feel that one. I was at a in 82nd Airborne Division in Bragg and I was a specialist in aviation and uh, for a long time and points were at 798 and they put me in a squad leader role. And I actually had eight other specialists that I was in charge of so they made oh, wow. me a corporal yeah and it was just it was definitely a learning experience and i think that uh not not everybody gets that experience so army experience isn't the same for everyone you know some people have it a little easier maybe getting to that next promotion and some people don't so some people get more of that leadership experience than others do so i think that it, that's what's really important about having articles like this because it helps bridge some of those gaps between different soldiers
1: yeah absolutely um i think particularly if if you are in in those um kind of you know a star mos or somewhere where people are getting promoted quickly you sort of know you've got to be really got to be on top of that because they're going to get it in two years um, you know a lot of times or shortly thereafter um, and that's not a lot of time to be in the army uh, to even learn sort of who who you are as a soldier um, and, and really get to get into the army culture um, so then to be put in a leadership role shortly thereafter uh, is pretty challenging. Um, and, I, and I think that being mindful of that, like you said, understanding sort of what your, what your MOS and what your field um, kind of is like, what that environment's like as far as promotion and, and so what are all the things you need to know about the Army as a leader and about your job as a leader to be able to then teach other people.
3: You kind of summarize that pretty well in the article about how what's the importance or the need for leaders to become you know to develop soldiers early on because they might be put in situations where they need to get promoted or are promoted quicker than than they may have wanted to and things like that. Um, So I think you you do summarize that well in the article. Um, Can can you talk about what makes it easier for some soldiers to identify as a leader over others, and why maybe that identity shift um, becomes difficult for those who don't?
1: Yeah, I think there's there's a few things. There is, um, you know, just sort of the basics of the individual. Some people are more. I don't really buy into the born leader thing. I think there's a lot of things you've got to learn to be to be a good leader. Um, but more people, some people have different, you know, more of the self confidence, um, the ability to deal with stress, those kind of things that come with being a leader. Some people have a little bit more of that innately um, and earlier earlier in life. Um, I think. That's another one, sort of developmentally, where are you at? You know, soldiers that tend to come in later, you know, maybe in their mid-20s versus at 18, um, I think tend to have an easier time because they have some more life experience. They've maybe had a managerial position or had just more time to develop, even just cognitively. We know a lot of those important frontal cortex, prefrontal cortex functions, the executive functioning, decision-making, planning, ability to project the future, those sorts of things really don't fully come online until your mid-20s. Um, so asking somebody who's 20, 21 years old to do a lot of that is is going to be a challenge for them, just by the their biology hasn't caught up to that yet. Um, another big one that we highlight in the article, and I think this is this is probably more important to talk about because this is an actionable thing, is is the active preparation, kind of feedback, and those leadership experiences early. I remember, you know, when I had to go back back when it was PLDC, I didn't want to go. Um, I was happy doing my job. I liked my MOS. Had a good time doing it, but my my leaders prepared me. I very my first squad leader, um, my first duty station was excellent. Uh, I was an excellent role model, and I think that that plays out in a lot of what we see today. Soldiers that have those excellent role models that do offer that feedback, coaching, guidance, um, really tend to have an easier time overall. Um, regardless of those individual factors, I think that NCO interaction and modeling and mentoring really can smooth out. That process.
2: I was I was thinking that as as we've been talking and while I was reading the article that your your article is like a uh, a lot of NCO myself included I know Sergeant Cox was talking about his experience uh, I was I was in the Marines and I, I was kind of put it, thrown in a leadership position while I was in charge of NCOs and you know, Marines who were a lot senior to me and I was kind of in charge and it was it's kind of a difficult thing that was it was either sink or swim. And what you're offering, what your article here is offering, NCOs is, is an opportunity, not to not to throw a a say a flotation device or something to the person who's 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 either sinking or swimming, but rather, this is a this is a tool for NCOs to give them that flotation device, I guess, before they even dump dive into the water or or are pushed into the water. Um, so I don't know if it's a, a strange analogy or, not, but that's just kind of the thing that I was that was going through my head, uh, you know that. That this is an opportunity for for NCOs to prepare their soldiers before they're thrown into the deep end, before they have to either you know sink or swim, uh, so they have the tools to succeed before they actually even um, get in that in that position.
0: Uh, Larry, I wanted to get in some of the research that your your article is based on. Um, I know that you your team administered a role transition survey. I kind of wanted to know if you could tell us about what that was, how you conducted the survey and then what were some of the results that
1: were surprising to you? We adapted a couple different uh, measures that had been previously used. One of the, uh, one of the folks on our team, Gary Sherman does a lot of leadership research, and this was a scale that he had developed and used previously, um, we adapted it for the army. Uh, so we changed some of the questions and changed some of the verbiage and we added a few things that, that. I had seen in previous work that I'd done that I was interested in to see how they impact uh, that, that initial role transition. Um, so we inserted some of those in there, but that really came from some, some previously adapted. We didn't, we didn't create that out of whole cloth, I guess, is the story. Was, this was an, an instrument that was used previously, mostly in academic environments, um, but it is a leadership survey, So it was kind of in, in that context. I think one of the things that surprised me, it wasn't necessarily from, from this, uh, particularly from the survey, I guess, one of the surprises was how important the idea of feedback um, and, and setting expectations was. Um, There's something that I think maybe a lot of us maybe take for granted. You know, you're in the army, you've been in the army for a few years, you're becoming a leader, you, you maybe sort of know, by that point, you should know what, what is expected. Um, And I think a lot of those leaders, when they first started out, really said that that they didn't have a clear expectation. And some of it was because maybe the message didn't match what they saw from their leaders or potentially just differences in um, kind of approach and leadership style sometimes impacted that. Uh, And some of it was just a lack of experience in being a leader. Um, just really not feeling like they knew or could act as a leader because they hadn't had a lot of formative experiences as they were developed
0: right. what do you what What do you think that your team would have had uh, recommended for that situation? So let's say a soldier uh, comes into the unit a new b five and they don't feel like they have the authority to take charge or don't exactly know what to do. what do you th- what what kind of recommendations does your team have for that?
1: I think that has roots in a lot of things. I know I've got, actually, I've got it sitting on my desk here right now. There are recently, this was a few years ago now, but there was a senior leader sentence about re-empowering the NCO core. And that's something we've heard is sort of this sense of disempowerment of the NCO, You know that sort of drift that happens over time sometimes um, and, and sort of reestablishing the NCO role and, and the, the importance and, and, and sort of power of the NCO within the organization. And this wasn't 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 uh, very common but I heard it a number of different places and I think it's probably specific maybe to certain units but it, it, it came up enough that I guess I can I can feel confident mentioning it is that a lot of times even these junior leaders didn't feel that they had just kind of the sort of general military authority to correct soldiers um, if they weren't theirs um, they either wouldn't get backed up by their hire or you know if the soldier was doing something was you know behaving in a way that they should on duty if this junior leader would correct them the soldier may may just ignore them may blow them off may even i heard instances of of them you know sort of you know back talking or cursing out the the nco and and you know you can't tell me what to do in this sort of thing um and i think of one particular situation where the nco said they went back to their platoon sergeant for sergeant and and basically got no backing to do that, which I I thought was interesting. Now that I only got one side of that story. So I, you know, I don't necessarily know what was the truth on the ground, but for that, that NCO, that's what they felt. And that affected how they behaved in the future, as far as enforcing standards and and really acting in that NCO role. I had a
4: little anecdote uh, that ties into that. And it also ties into my question. Um, I remember when I was first, sort of given a leadership position, and I was like an E3, so not even like a full NCO, which I guess is really great for the title and applies to this, but there were some other E3s, um, and I was the, so I was given the, the sole medical position for this platoon, this recon platoon, and I was asking someone to do a task, a very easy task, and they refused to do it, and they came out with the, well, you're the same rank as me. Well, back then... 2005, that was a while ago. So things were different, which is going to lead into my question. Um, so back then, things were settled, um, not always using paperwork. Anyway, <laughs> we decide, we had this game called Tap Out or Pass Out, where two people would settle their arguments basically using jiu-jitsu, or I guess McMap, or back then, uh, I think the... Mac- Marine Corps did McMap, yeah. So, which was just a variation of certain jujitsu stuff. Anyway, I put him in a rear naked choke or sleeper hold, so I won the argument, the cider, and then from then on, he did whatever I said without complaint. And so did the rest of the platoon because they didn't also want to be involved because I was a I wrestled my whole life and even now I still coach wrestling, um, but. That kind of goes into empowering a young, <laughs> a young leader. But my question is, um, since you've been around a while, have you noticed a difference between, I guess, your results now, which is that, you know, these Gen Z soldiers especially want communication. They want these AARs. They want to be uh, explained everything, you know, for good reason. So, is there a difference between what we find now and then what there was? 10 15 years ago in a previous like millennial generation
1: yeah I would I would say there are um, and I think that's something I've I've really had to learn sort of coming back into the, the army context so I have a very different you know my experience was very different than the last couple of decades you know' it's, now it's starting to get back to more you know the mid 90s was when I came in so that it was a very different environment obviously the world was very different the Army's mission was very different. Back then, And it was more like it is now kind of more garrison, more garrison time, more training time. It wasn't constant deployment um, and ramping up and ramping down from those. One of the things that really surprised me across a lot of the research and and, in talking to soldiers is how little interaction a lot of these soldiers have with even their squad leader. A lot of them report, you know, outside of accountability or formations, they barely see their squad leader. When I was coming up as a junior enlisted soldier, you know, we were in the platoon office, you saw the platoon sergeant, you saw a platoon leader, um, you know, they'd be out at meetings or doing things a lot of the time, and we'd be out on details or doing, you know, doing the things that we needed to do. But it seems to me, uh, a lot of this, a lot of the soldiers, even the team leaders, a lot of times report, they don't see the squad leaders all that much because they're up doing, doing paperwork or going to meetings. Um, so a lot of leadership is done over text or, or you know, messaging groups and that sort of thing, um, which was completely foreign. So I've had to sort of learn and sort of reconceptualize, well, how do I study leadership in that environment? There really isn't a lot out there on sort of that digital um, sort of distanced leadership. So I think that's a topic we're just trying to get our hands around because I, I think it is different. I think just having that, that physical sort of face-to-face contact with people, put, those sorts of things I think um, can be formative and, and just being able to watch and observe your leaders act can be helpful in your development. And it, it seems a lot of times soldiers get pulled in different directions. You know, there's always details and things. Um, and my recollection may be, may be faulty on this, but it seemed like when we did things, they tried to keep us together as a team, or just you know, so we could still sort of interact and bond and have some of that time together. Now it sounds like a, there's a lot of onesie, twosie details and people are sort of off all on their own and they don't have that time together to, like I said, even just observe or hopefully have more formal or even informal interactions and kind of that hip pocket training and, and kind of shade tree counseling and, uh, you know, just just kind of those opportunities for development and learning along the way, um, at least with what I'm getting told. Like I said, I don't, I'm not at these units on a daily basis, so I don't see what they see. I just know kind of what the soldiers are saying. And it's fairly consistent that it seems like there's a lot less direct contact with even your first you know, your first line, second line supervisor than there had been even, you know, 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago.
3: If you had one thing to say to a young soldier who's looking to become a leader or who wants to, who's either thrust into that position or is looking to become a leader, you know, trying to identify as a leader,
1: what would you say to them? Uh, there's a, there's a, I would say, number one, I hope you have a good mentor. That's been a common theme across a lot of the research we do is, is the value of having something, someone I can base my identity as a leader and my uh, performance of that leadership role off of. Can I, do I have somebody that showed me sort of what right is or what right can be? Maybe that person's leadership style isn't mine, but at least I have an idea of where to go with it. Um, I think that's a big thing. And then uh, another thing um, and you, you may be saving this one to reference later, but I think there's an aspect of, of kind of that self-reflection and honest uh, accounting of where you're at. Um, if you want to be a leader, there's probably a lot of things you're going to want to learn. There's probably a lot of mistakes you're going to make, and you need to be open to that. Um, and hopefully you get feedback, and that's where that mentoring kind of comes in, um, is, is being able to, to act as a leader, get those experiences. We've talked about how important that is to, to behave as something is to then become that thing. Um, And and that's particularly true for leadership. If I never am in a position where I act like a leader or have to make decisions or be a leader, it's going to be hard for me to just jump in and do it cold. Um, So having those formative experiences along the way um, and really taking to heart um, sort of what you learn about yourself. You know, maybe you've got a great leader, um, but you just can't do what they do. Uh, That just isn't your personality. You need to find what your style is as a leader. And what you're comfortable with and how you can then get that mission done and, and and be the leader for your soldiers and develop them and take care of them and train them um, in the way that fits for you that also meets those mission goals.
2: What um what op- what leadership or, or professional development opportunities are, are there in the the article that you have that maybe NCOs, how can NCOs use your article to develop professional development opportunities? opportunities like sergeant's time and that kind of thing would you be able to to maybe take a dive into that
1: i mean i think those those kind of five key points we sort of put into it sort of incorporating you could incorporate those into anything that you do be it sergeant's time training or hip pocket training or just going through the conduct um you know of your daily duties and 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 just you know showing your soldiers mos or just army army things you know the Small unit tactics, what have you? Any of those kind of five key points, I think, can really be built into any of that. So, say you're, you know, you're doing some battle drills or something. Give, give that new PFC. Make him the, make him the team leader. Make him the squad leader, and let him run through it. Let him show you what he knows about that. You know, that sort of thing. And then give the feedback. You know, make sure they know what the expectations are for, for what they need to do. If I'm the, if I'm the senior, I need to communicate expectations. If I'm the new leader, I need to ask questions. If I don't understand, if I'm not sure what it is that, that I'm expected to do, I need to ask some questions. I can't just guess it and just go out there. I don't know that this article is necessarily made, I don't, you probably could do a, a good sergeant's time trading out of it, I guess, but I think it's more of a, gives you kind of an approach to, to those sorts of activities and just general developmental activities. Um, as a, both as a leader and as an aspiring um, or a new leader that's still learning it, it kind of gives you some some targets to, to go for
0: thank you dr goba for the outstanding article and joining us today on the podcast and a thank you to our audience remember to put your knowledge to the page submit articles and get published with the nco journal don't forget to check out our web page and follow us on social media we'll catch you next time on the nco journal podcast